Welcome to The Truth in His Art. I am your host, Rob Lee, and I am thrilled to introduce my next guest, a visual artist, researcher, and archivist. His practice combines photography, text, video, and installation to craft an archive that intertwines mythological, historical, and societal dimensions. His work has been showcased internationally, including exhibitions at Schoenberg Center of Research in Black Culture and the Langston Hughes Library. Please welcome Joseph Cochran II. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here and um, a pleasure to be talking with you. 100%. I mean, it's, you know, we were, we were chatting a little bit before we got into this and um, the actual real thing, sort of the the pre, you know how I've been looking at the interviews like you go into a restaurant, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like we're having sort of the, you know, the talk before we get our water and before we actually. <laughs> so the way I'm going to break this down is I got like, you know, questions and they're broken out in like three different sections, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, appetizer sort of questions, the main course, and then, you know, desserts and maybe like post drinks and things of that nature. So that's the way I like it. Got, 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 got the uh, tipsy drinks at the end. I like, <laughs> I like that. The, the flaming Moe's, if you will. Uh -huh. <laughs> A little substance reference there. Um, so, you know, again, thank you for coming on. And I, I want to start off with sort of the in the beginning question. Um, mm -hmm. What were some of those like early experiences, early like influences that, you know, kind of, you know, touched on maybe your perspective and how you approach the the creative work that you're doing today, whether it's your creative sensibilities, which is things that mm -hmm. stuck out creatively for you. You think back to being a young person. For sure. Um, well, I will begin with the positive. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I was, I was raised, so I'm from East Harlem, um, originally, um, also known as Spanish Harlem or El Barrio to some, and, um, you know, I was raised in, I was raised as a single child, but I have siblings, but I was raised as a single child in my early form formative years by my grandmother and my grandmother, you know, she was a, uh, Still, I've, I've, it's been about uh, 20 years now. I've been trying to find the words to describe her. But um, she was, for lack of a better phrase, an interesting person who, um, for all of her faults, had many um, positives. Yeah. And um, and she was adamant from a young from from my from the, from as early as I can remember that I was like. I hate using this word, but destined to like do something with myself, you know, which I think is really just like that older dodge of like the black woman making sure that like their child knows that they have to be whoever they want. They want to be in this world and helping themselves actualize. Right. Um, so very early on, you know. My grandmother, I had to get home from school and my grandmother would just like give me second school. Like anything that I wanted to know, anything that I asked about, she would do her best to answer. We would do um, funny pop culture things like watch Jeopardy every night and <laughs> shit like that, you know. Uh, but most importantly, and this is one of my fondest memories, she had this huge bookshelf just full of Britannicas, full of all these history books, all these just all kinds of like tomes. Right. And I would like um, I would just like read, like shuffle through these things like they were fiction. And, and I would just ask her like, wow, this, you know, for example, this French revolution thing sounds crazy. Like, <laughs> like you know, what, what movie is this or whatever? And then she would tell me, no, this is history. And then explain to me what it means and things like that. Yeah. Also 
And I guess this speaks to my um, like visual development. She was really, really into film. And she would take me to movies. She would take me to see movies all the time. And, you know, not just like pop culture films, which I'm a big, big fan of, but like, you know, early, like, I mean, like 90s Miyazaki films and like, and like, you know, um, cute, like screenings of Stanley Kubrick films and stuff like that. So, you know, I remember seeing like Dr. Strangelove when I was like seven years old, oh, not wow. understanding anything in the film, but loving it, you know, um, like my eyes just peeled to, to the screen. And, um, and I think from very early on, I, I told myself, oh man, you know, I'm going to grow up one day and like be a filmmaker. I'm going to like make films, I'm going to make movies, you know, yeah. you know I'm, I'm going to make like the space odyssey to a 2001, a space odyssey one day, whatever. And, um, so that's one thing. Um, also my community, you know, I was heavily, you know, from playing baseball to just being outside in general, you know, uh, I was always just observing my environment and, you know, uh, overhearing or directly hearing stories from people. And that kind of created a certain, a certain, um, how should I say, a certain sensibility when it comes to storytelling that I think I still have today, which is um, more or less stream of consciousness um the way that i weave photo narratives is more or less like stream of consciousness and you know um more dependent on the feel of of the information being posited to someone than than it is the even in some cases the empirical you know even in some cases the uh the anthropological if you will you know um so that's so that's like that's the positives i would say the negatives is, um, you know, um, my my grandmother, she was very she was a very sick woman when I um, all even before I was born, she was very sick, mentally sick. Mm. Uh, she had a breakdown when I was about nine years old, full mental, full, full mental breakdown. Um, she was she's been schizophrenic. She was schizophrenic her entire life, like most of her life. And uh, and unfortunately, when she had her breakdown, um, I was I was also there and our neighbors called the police who then basically took me away and put me into the foster care system. And and from the foster and from there on I spent I was 9 years old when I went in um I spent about a year to almost 2 years in group homes before before I was placed with um a family a young a young family in Brownsville, Brooklyn, who would later adopt me when I was 17 years old. And, um, you know, all through my adolescence, I uh, I had just intense emotional problems, intense problems with violence. You know, um, I was what you would define as an at risk youth. And also I had these uh, temporal tendencies, if you will, where I would run away, I would disappear sometimes for weeks. You know, I would, um, you know, sometimes sleeping on a friend's couch would be more preferable to me sleeping at home, you know, and it wasn't really because of any like um, abuse or, or things said to me, even though those things were going on, it was more so I had this because of what happened at the age of nine, I had this real like um, psychological need for freedom yeah. to just like because you know what people don't understand about being in the foster care system is that when you're in the system 
it's it's not the same as being in jail, but it's relative to being in jail. You can't leave the state. You can't like you have no self-determination, not only because you're a child, but because you are more or less the responsibility of the state. Yeah. You know, which 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 I did not understand um, early on in my life. But, you know, as I aged and learned more of the system, I realized that responsibility of the state basically means the state owns you, you know, and um, and and that kind of stuff is not kosher for me. So um, so, you know. uh, Plowing ahead when I so after um, after I was in the system, I spent about three or four years just in self-destruction, just like from crime to, to rampant drug use to, you know, um, being, being tourists with, uh, with multiple people that I was dating, so on and so forth. You know, I was, I was really harming myself in my mind. Yeah. And I got the opportunity to, um, you know, uh, I got the opportunity to leave New York city when I was about 21 years old. And this is after a, uh, a near-death experience that is documented in the New York Times. It's it's all around. You know, uh, me and some friends, we almost died in a home invasion. And um, and you know, uh, again, like all all these things that happened up to this point, and I was very burnt out. I was very just like emotionally exhausted, you know, and on some level physically exhausted. And um, and I and I got the opportunity to leave. I moved to South New Jersey for a bit where I worked in casinos and uh, and lived on a marina, which was, a I never experienced anything like this in my life. Then moved to Philly for a little bit. And, um, and, in, and during this time I had began to uh, pick up the camera, mm. you know, um, I like from, from my youth up until this moment, I had been um, keeping a journal. I've been writing poetry, all kinds of stuff. You know, um, I think, when the home invasion happened, I had written about 300 to 350 poems that I had in a book that was, that was all lost during this um, home invasion. And, um, and I was starting to rebuild that archive while I was um, in New Jersey based on new experiences, but I was having, um, I was talking to a friend um, and I was having issues remembering the things that I was writing about. And my friend who um, at the time was a photographer, he said, hey, hey, you know, I got this student camera like this Pentax K1000. Why don't you just take it and like see what you do with it? And I and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this shit, but whatever. Um, I took it home and uh, it just sat on my nightstand for like six months until one day coming out of coming out of work one day after working a graveyard shift at this at this damn casino. I'm like, all right, fuck it. You know, um, I'm not sleepy. I'll take it out, make some pictures. You know, um, I shot my first like two roles, got them developed, show, um, was on Skype. I mean, if anyone remembers Skype, I was on Skype with my friend and I show him the uh, the images and he's like, well, you know, like two thirds of these to me are good. I think you should just stop what you're doing and like yeah. make films. And I was like, well, fuck you. Don't gaslight me. I'm not doing this, you know, um, but I say all that and I'm a very stubborn person. I say all that and then like was still just making the pictures. Yeah. And um and eventually I came up to him like, "Hey, you know, here's like 300 pictures. What do you what do you think of these?" you know? And he's like, "All right, yeah, you know, I got this opportunity for you. You know, um I just I just did the, I just uh designed this school in China. 
uh, you should, I, you know, I got a lot of cachet in China, you know, I mean, with this, with this developer, you know, I can get you a job here. So why don't you, so like, why don't you just move to China and just like work 20 something hours a week and make pictures. And, uh, and I was just like, no, like, I didn't know shit about China past Tiananmen Square, you know? And I'm like, hell no. Like, you crazy? Like, I'm American, I'm black, this and a third. But um, but then a lot of um real life shit happened, you know. Um, my grandmother, who I adored very much, she passed away. Um, you know, which ended 50, 50 something years of pain for her, which I was happy about, you know. Um, and then my cousin. And this is the one that really killed, that really like killed me. Uh, my cousin, my cousin Antoine, peace be upon him, he passed away. And um, he was only 33 years old when he passed away. And uh, and I couldn't get it out of, I mean, I, I had seen many of my friends have passed away. I've seen many, I've seen people die, you know, all these things. To, I've seen death has been ever present in my life, metaphorically and literally, but I couldn't get it out of my head, this man dying, because for all of his good qualities, for all the things that he was about, he died when he passed away and no one spoke about his death. Mm. One, there was no real remembrance of his death. You know, it was almost as if he didn't, he never existed. And, um, and I was, and maybe this is selfish of me, but I was determined to be remembered. I was determined to make sure that my history, my personal history mm. would be, would be um, indexed, you know, um, to use like biblical terms. I mean, like what is a gospel? It's just really like a written account of someone who has already existed. Yeah. And I saw the power of, of that kind of narrative in photography very early on. And, um, and yeah, like, those experiences altogether, I was like, well, this is, you know, I've lived so many lives already that I didn't, that I did not get to document what is the next, like, if I'm lucky, 50 years going to bring, you know? And yeah, um, I don't know if that completely answers your question. No, but... no, no, no. Um, one, thank you for, for really opening up and, and sharing there. And um, yeah, I, I think it not not only answers sort of that introductory question, but it answers like three other ones. So shout out to you. <laughs> I, I like when people are overachieving. It's just like, all right, you're making my job easy. Um, but also let me give you a, you know, a a, a chance to kind of like catch your breath there. Thank I you. think, you know, it, it's 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 important to really be able to share and document things that are happening in, in a certain period. Um, mm -hmm. you know, that's really some of the considerations I make when I'm doing this. You know, you, you're in a place, you see attention happening to a place, you see people coming and going, whether it's through sort of the mortal coil or through locality, just like leaving a place. You want to be able to capture what was this place like? Right. Know? And via the stories of the people that are living it, not in this sort of editorialized sort of way that is like, this is the narrative that I want to do. I try to be as neutral as possible. It's like, what's real? Yeah. And I think it's something about doing that for a place, but something about doing that for ourselves and really being able to document it. So in in, in this sort of question, would you how would you de describe your work in sort of this journal, not not journalism approach, but sort of maybe the the journaling concept of really mm -hmm. being able to document sort of your story as it's happening played a role into you pursuing the work that you're pursuing currently? Um, 
Um, I so I would describe my work as the um as the exploration or analysis of um advanced industrial societies, mm. um, their systems and how we fit in them. Yeah. You know, and and what does that and what that means is that um, you know, specifically in the context of of my experience, I try to look at the pernicious effects of systemic injustices, you know, and and show how systems cause inst- how some systems cause instability, mm-hmm. which in effect cause change. And to achieve this, I do this through a mixture of um, what you call like journaling, you know, um, photographic journaling. Uh, I use documentary photography techniques and abstract imaging, you know, and uh, and along with the text and video components and things like that, you know. Uh, so I think that's the best summation of the work. Um, if if I if I had to, uh, if it was just me and you shooting the shit at a bar, <laughs> I would I would I would just I would just say, I like to take pictures. Take <laughs> it's before I was doing it, I was cursing people out and punching people in the streets. I don't. I no longer do that. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you. I like. I like it in both ways. Um, and, and, and it's funny. Like when you have to start thinking through things, and with the number of interviews I've done, I ask artists now. I'm like, Yo, can you tell me what you do without giving me the artist statement? You know, I have to I have to do it that way. And even when I'm describing this, I was, you know, telling you a little bit earlier about, you know, some of the ways folks ask you to do it because they want you to be a brand that fits into Mm -hmm. certain buckets. Mm -hmm. I'm like, look, I talk to people who are interesting and I get them to like answer my goofy questions. That's really what it is. And I think make myself seem more interesting. You know, I can like reference you in conversation. Right. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, exactly. Exactly. I mean, and I mean, that's it, right? Like, you know, you know, um, it, like making this work because I mean like imaging I mean I always like like I always have this like Jay-Z um, line in my head where he says um and I'm paraphrasing here maybe but he says uh you know y'all record I recall mm. you know I really been there before you yeah. know and um and I didn't realize how important that was until I had started um living in Brussels Brussels Belgium and um, and I was at my friend's uh, school, the um, Ecole Research Graphique or uh, ERG, which is a French art school in Brussels. Um, I was in the atelier. It was like me, him, and his uh, anthropology teacher just hanging out, and we had been having conversation for a while or whatever. And she's like, "Yo, like, show me your archive. Like, I want to see the work. Yeah. Show it to." Her. She was like, "Man, like, I, you know, I showed all this shit and at the end of it. I'm like, yeah, I don't really know what the fuck I'm doing here, but uh, you know, I'm doing something. I think." Yeah. And uh, and she's like, listen, you are cartographing new ways of seeing mm-hmm. for, for your people. And she was like, I don't mean black people. She's like, I mean, your people, whoever mm-hmm. your people are, you know. And um, and that showed me that, like, man. When especially in imaging, in photography, when you're building your archive, which is the photographer's language, yeah. you know, um, yeah. you are building you are building a a text that not only speaks to the time that you existed, but speaks to the challenges that 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 society that you were in um, faced, 
you know, whether whether it be like, I don't know, um, Eggleston's vision of the South or or uh, or Gordon Park's vision of Chicago from the mundane to the explicit, you are seeing something that 50 years from now may not even look the same. And and there is a certain power in that and a certain a, a certain power in that in of itself. Thank you. Well, wow. um, I was I was taking a quick note because I have a rapid fire question. I'm adding. I, that's, that's the thing I like to do. I like to I like to add as I'm over here cramming. Um, so give give me the the sort of like the driver. If if, if there were, you know, three three words and I'm, and I'm taking almost like definitely lifting from, mm-hmm. from one of the things I read, sort of the the archive intertwining mythological, yeah. historical and societal mm-hmm. dimensions. What would you say like those that that those those drivers would be if it, if it was like, what would you say that sort of main driver is to push forward in that? Because I, I think I'm getting it. But for those in the back who came late yeah. to the class, the main the main the main driver is fear of erasure. It's, it's the fear of being erased. And, you know, um, I, much like yourself, we are products of not only the era of mass incarceration, mm. but the era of the war on drugs. We are, we are, we are truly the first generation of, of like, of black Americans to experience, to, in my opinion, to really experience if there were any fruits to be had, the fruits of the 1968 civil rights bill, you know, mm. and, you know, before before that flashpoint and after that flashpoint, how many lives erased? Yeah. You know, how many how many um how many generations destroyed? How many histories silenced? You know, you know, we're still finding out about heroes of the civil rights era, like today. We're still finding out about them. You know, like heroes of the Reconstruction era, of the Jim Crow era. We're still finding out about them today because they have been erased. Yeah. And and that's the societal dimension, I think. Photographically, mm-hmm. you know, um the 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 medium itself is what 150 years old. And in that time, there have maybe been less, if I had to make a throwing shit to the wall estimate here. Yeah. Probably less than 200 notable black and brown black and brown photographers in this country. Yeah. Notable ones, you know, ones that have major museum acquisitions, major um, institutional backing, are talked about in the um, canon of of photography itself, so on and so forth. And and I and I would also posit that probably. A good chunk of them, besides like people like Roy De Carava or or Jane Vanderzee or something, come after the year 1945. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. so like so like you condense that to maybe like 80 years of like black excellence in photography. Mm-hmm. You know? Maybe, maybe even less. So because Gordon Parks is kind of like the flashpoint for the, you know, and um and I look at it like, all right. You know, uh, Alan Sekula, um, the photographer Alan Sekula, he has a very good um, manuscript called uh, The Body in the Archive. Yeah. And it talks about uh, how photography was used to create social stratas for people to to exist within. 
like the mugshot mm. is a is a photographic creation and 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 it was created with this idea that if you that if you index something enough you can then make determinants of behavior mm. so you know the mugshot went as far as like all right there's a certain ear that a criminal has there's a certain nose that a criminal has there's a certain height of a criminal of a criminal mm -hmm. there's all of these integers which we know are bullshit today that that classify a criminal and i mean it just so happened that most of these criminals were darker and uh, <laughs> and you know like it's things like that that within the canon of photography i'm trying to I'm trying to be mindful of and approach in new ways, yeah. you know. Also, there is that personal aspect of me in photography, which is like, which maybe comes from like me playing sports as a youth and and whatnot, which is like, all right, if I'm going to compete, you know, I want to be, I want to be in the canon. I want to be, because like photography is one of those things that it is a trade. Like people yeah. forget it's, it's a trade. Mm -hmm. and you can be the best at a trade. You know, yeah. you can be the best at like these kinds of things. So the photographers that I really resonate with, these are people who I think have mastered imaging. You give them a printer or a camera, they can make you an image. Yeah. And and I think that's and I think that's so powerful. Now, um there's also the scientific, the you know, the anthropological, the ethnographic, and and uh, and and also the philosophical and on and ontological. And this speaks to like what to like the point about mythology, yeah. which is um, what is what is the Iliad but the hopes and dreams of the Greek people condensed condensed into a work by Homer? Yeah. You know what is what is like, you know um, various stories. I mean, Les Misérables, you know um um Count of Monte Cristo, like any myth that you, the, the myth of the Anansi, you know, like any myth that you can think of, they, these are the hopes and dreams of the people yeah. condensed into a volume of work. And, um, and, you know, something that, uh, something that, that, uh, that an ex of mine used to call me all the time, which I used to take great offense to until I started embracing it. She so used to always call me the black Odysseus. And, um, because like with no money, no, no actual knowledge, nowhere of all, I was able to take myself across all of these continents, embed myself into other societies, yeah, and photograph them and be around them, live their cultures, live their customs. And you know, like for me, as someone from the hood, you know, I was just talking to my homies in 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 Van Dyke Peas yesterday about this. Like, you know, these these cats now who when I left, they were 11, 12 years old. I'm back now at 33. They're now adult men. And they're like, oh, like people talk to people talk about you around like you're a myth. Like you never existed, you know, like, like we can't, like, we can't believe this, you know? Right. And I told and I told them, like, I can't believe it either. You know, like there are times that I look into my archive and I'm like, yeah, I can I actually can't believe I made this image. You know? That's it's um, funny. Like, that's one of the things. Like when I look back through and I was, you know, telling you about like how many of these interviews that I've been able to get and document and all of that. And, you know, having one of these moments recently of seeing like this sort of shift and, you know, I'm a baseball guy too. So I definitely will mention that. 
um, you know, I, I used to work for the Orioles back in the day in the events oh, yeah. and all of that and seeing like the new City Connect jerseys and seeing this sort of awareness around art and me mm-hmm. doing this podcast for the last few years. I don't know if they're connected, but then seeing, you know, sort of the Jersey it having this this reference to a poet that I interviewed a couple of years ago. And it's literally a quote from a poem that he oh. wrote. And then seeing, you know, a guy I've interviewed, a musician I've interviewed twice do the national anthem. And then seeing they had the DJ set up and I was like, oh, I've interviewed him. And then seeing the curator. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, oh. And no one knows who I am unless like you're really around. Meanwhile, you're at the nexus of these, of of all these. (laughs) And then even seeing sort of the traffic too. Like, you know, it's the using the hockey thing. It's the... The, the Wayne Gretzky of it. It's like, I'm going where the puck is going, not where it's already at. That's and, right. And I find like almost being a little bit of hit, ahead of it, you know, having conversations with folks. And this one is definitely one of the stimulating conversations of, you know, it doesn't feel like there's any like walls and blockades. It feels like, hey, this is the thought. This is the thinking. Where is it going? And, you know, when I talk to folks about like, all right, this is what I have in mind. And then I start seeing it happening, you know, where, it's like, hey, I want to bridge these communities. This is my methodology. These are my ideas. Right. And if you start seeing it, like whether it's people, because I do these interviews in Philly, and do these interviews in New York, do these interviews in New Orleans, and then seeing folks that I've interviewed come up into Baltimore and see it and then comment like, wow, I didn't know that was here. Or well, I didn't know this was in this community. This is like what Rob said. And like, and yeah. just seeing that sort of connection. And it just, it just tells me, it's like, I'm doing the thing that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm doing that, that right thing. And really being able to get into some of these spots where you hear someone that's an editor, you know, of a large magazine, well-respected magazine, or that has a really good profile. I'm like, oh, I know about your work. I really respect and appreciate your work. That's a really good thing to hear. And it doesn't, you know, make me say, okay, now I'm good. It makes me want to just keep going and look back at that archive. Like, damn, I did ask that. Damn, I am good at that. Because because at the end because at the end of the day you know like it, it it becomes a it becomes a method of self actualization and becomes a method of like all right you know you know I'm doing this so there's no reason why I should half ass it if I love it yeah. I should mm-hmm. continue to do it and I should do it at the highest level whatever that highest level is going to be you know I should I should try and do it you know it's the it's the Gabate thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Gimbante thing where, you know, it's just like they don't say good luck, you know, and using the Japanese idea. They don't, they don't say good luck. It's just like you're going to put forth the best effort. That's, you know, exactly. It's just, <laughs> you're going to do it. You're just going to do it. And, you know, as I try to extend and, and, and branch out on the things that I'm interested in and let, you know, my my interest kind of drive me, I get very protective of it because people will do this thing. You know, maybe it's what one looks like. Maybe it's what one's background is or whatever profile they fit you know, based on what they might look like. <laughs> it's, yep. it's like, oh, I don't know if that has a lot of merit. It's like, well, I do. And that's why I'm doing it. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> so I got I got, I got, got two real questions before um, I hit to hit you with these rapid fire questions because yeah. I added one that's very trolly for a New Yorker, by the sure. way. Um, so let's talk about impact and, and exhibitions a bit. So mm-hmm. showcasing internationally, can you can you talk about like those experiences in, in, in addition to, you know, uh, Schoenberg, um, in, in addition to uh, Langston Hughes Library? Talk about sort of like the exhibition and engagements contributing to yeah. the, the artistic journey for you. Totally. Um, so internationally, you know, so and, and I'll preface this with saying like for a long time, 
well, not a long time, you know, about, about seven years or so, I stayed away from any interaction with gallery people, you know, um, not that they were looking for, you know, but, but, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I made it a pointed effort to not promote or show my art to anyone who was involved in the art industry mm. because um, it was an industry I didn't understand. You know, you know, I, I understand drug dealing. I don't understand art. I don't understand the art industry. <laughs> and, that's, a, that's a great quote. I'm going to use that quote. That's a great quote. You know, and uh, and and I, I, you know, I didn't understand the industry. And I mean, you know, imagine being 24, 25, 26. I mean, I lived there for four years, you know, in China, which has its own galleries, has its own art spaces. And, you know, there are people who knew of the work. They, they're seeing the work because I was a part of this collective called Basement Six, who actually gave my first exhibition, which I'll get to in a second. You know, um, people are seeing the work and they're asking me like, yo, so what are you doing with it? And third, and I'm just like, yeah, I don't know how any of that shit works. So I don't so I don't want to be involved. You mm -hmm. know, um, you know, I, I'd rather just like sit in the crib, sm smoke weed, make my pictures, hang out with my girl, rinse and repeat. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, like for me, it was just like I'm just happy to be here making the pictures. Right. Like. You know, if I die one day and like some fucking kid just finds this archive of shit, well, that's awesome. You know, I'll be like Vivian Meyer or something. That's great. Um, <laughs> and uh, and you know, um, but Basement Six when I when I met them, who, who whom I met through the music scene because uh, very early on, uh, people in the music scene in Shanghai they noticed my photographs and noticed what I was doing, and they were like, "Hey, you know, you should come and like photograph." these shows, photograph these events. And, you know, it really um, helped break the ice for me in terms of like making, making the practice viable enough for myself to do it in the street, to do it pro exclusively in the street mm -hmm. you know? and, um, and the street and in the homes of people. Uh, but basement six, which was this like collective of, of just like artists and fucking wayward souls and, you know, um, LGBTQ people who are dodging Chinese censors, all this shit, you know, they embraced me very early on and they made me a part of the collective. And, um, and, you know, like from there, I was like, wow, like this is an artistic home where it's not pretentious. Everyone is just like creating. Everyone is, you know, um, helping each other realize ideas. And these are people who were able to, you know, take me around the city, like really take me around the city and make me a part of the city and make me understand how the city thinks, breathes and acts. Yeah. And, um, and from, and they made my work. Well, what probably would have taken me double the time that I spent in China. They made it possible for, for it to only take four years, you know? Right. And, um, and, you know, they gave me my first exhibition, um, which was a, which was just like a group show, you know, but, Again, from there, like, you know, at the time I had never used medium format, which I upgraded to for this show, broke my camera midway through, broke the camera midway through preparing for it, showed them the images like, oh, these are great. These are amazing. You know, like put these up and everyone fucked with it, you know, um, and I and that put the battery in my back to like keep doing what I was doing, mm -hmm. you know, and um. And even moving ahead, you know, uh, when I had when I had left China, 
you know, I spent about a year or so just making more work and everything. And then I got to Brussels. I mean, I continue, I've, I'm always making work, but I had spent like a year or so, like just making work, just making work alone. You know, I, I had moved to Morocco and I lived there for five, like five months and by myself and just like shot a whole new project there, then moved to Sardinia, Italy, which is where my ex is from and lived among her people, made the project that I was telling you about with the refugee and asylum seekers, made a project in her village, which is a village of 4,000 people. And I had just, you know, kept making the work. And then I got to Brussels and, and, you know, we were now really back in the Western world. Mm. And, um, and with that, there was a new set of challenges that I was not prepared for because I had left, I had left, basically left the West when, when I was like 22, 23 years old. And now, and now I'm 28, 29 (laughs) going, go like in, not, not back in America, but in a country I've never been in where people just speak French and Dutch, you know, it was a whole thing. And, uh, and I'm like, well, shit, like now I have to put myself out. Now I have to be out there because, um, you know, I, I have, I have my lady got school, got all these things. Like we can no longer have the luxury of not being visible. Mm-hmm. We have to be visible. Yeah. And from there, that's how, that's when I started doing um, a lot of my public facing, like installation works, um, which is, which have all been like video works, usually like not documented where I like live VJ basically with archive, with archive um, video. Nice. And um and I started to do those works and, uh, and, you know, while it didn't manifest into any, any, um, like monetary any, into anything monetarily, it, it did manifest itself in terms of opportunities when I returned to the U S in the sense that, you know, um, I got back to America just months before the pandemic started mm. and, um, and in that time, and this and this answers your question about the Schomburg, in that time, I got together with uh, Black Mass Publishing, which is run by a esteemed brother, um, Yusuf, Yusuf Hassan. And um, he commissioned me to make a book or a zine, if you will, which was called The Lower Deaths. And The Lower Deaths was a 16-page book that consisted of a lot of my just like extremely short annotated like notes of my time away you know it was meant to represent the lower depths of my mind so in it there were photographs there was a uh what i call a digital poem that i made um yeah do you think there was a uh there was a um there was a uh a speech from mao zedong where he uh where he implored black people to move to China. And allegedly the speech was done while um, W.E.B. Dubois was standing right next to him. And there were archive images from the uh from the um from the Belgian from the from the Belgian raising of the Congo. And um, you know, the Schomburg from Schom- the Schomburg, the Langston Hughes Library. And um, the Evergreen State College Library, they had they had interest in the books, in the book. They purchased it, and for me, 
as a native son of Harlem, having the Schomburg purchase one of my works was like, what? Like, I, I can't, I can't believe this, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's incredible. So, you know, um, to, to even like further the exhibition, what, like your question about the exhibitions, you know, um, my first exhibition in the U S was with, um, Swivel Gallery, um, which is based, which was formerly based in, um, in Best Eye Brooklyn, now it's in Bushwick. And, uh, that exhibition was titled, A Lot of Things Have Changed, A Lot of Things Have Not, which is a, a direct, direct quote from Mostaf at the beginning of his album, Black on Both Sides. And, um, and, you know, for this exhibition, which was meant to be a survey, which was meant to exist as a survey of my time, of my withdrawal and return, you know, um, one of the one of the centerpieces for that uh, exhibition that I created was a uh, vitrine, um, kind of like a display box of sorts that housed the, uh, um, that housed like uh, the multiple phones that I used while I was overseas, my camera that I used for most of the time that I was overseas letters that were written to me by former loves or uh, death certificates, all kinds of just more archival information. And, um, and I was very inspired to make this vitrine by the work of Joseph Boys, who um, Joseph Boys was a former um, Nazi soldier who uh, crash landed, allegedly crash landed amongst some shaman, had a significant change of heart and uh, I'm, uh, crash landed amongst some natives who then introduced him to a shaman who then changed his life allegedly. And, um, and from that point on, he began to make art, which had, which always had this uh, idea of social practice in it. So it was like, okay, you know, not only social practice, but mythology, excuse me, but personal mythology, personal and external mythologies. And one of the things that he would do is he would build these, um these vitrines that would house like objects, it would be, it, it could be leather from a boot, it could be fur, whatever, you know, and he did this to um, push forward the idea that these objects that we interface with, you know, they are not only ready-mades to speak to Marcel Duchamp, but they are also these, these objects that have intense resonance with us spiritually, um, physically, and metaphorically, and they are as worthy of display as the art pieces we make. And um, and for me, I tried to take that a step further with offering aspects of my life that were very dear, near and dear to me, such as like um, putting putting my grandmother's death certificate in the vitrine, but heavily redacting the information, and um, which is something that I that I do in my text practice to protect the lives of people and, you know, so on and so forth. Also a kind of critique of the United States own process of redacting information. But, um, you know, in this, I was very happy that people understood the point that people understood that, you know, uh, I had left the U S as one person and I returned as a new person, you know, and while not much had changed, in the way that I go about my life, yeah. much had changed in the way that I thought about life. And, you know, um, really this exhibition was meant to signify that like, 
All right. I am in a medium that everyone thinks that they do today because it's so ubiquitous. But what I am doing is not just making pictures. I am writing a novel. I am maybe multiple novels, you know, maybe, you know, I'm 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 really trying to offer something to the people that I hope will exist in a way that people will be able to analyze and, you know, critique for years to come. And all of these exhibitions and spaces that I've been able to get to work in, they have served as um kind of like I've used this word a lot, but like flashpoints yeah. to describe how to describe my own personal development and also um to hammer home this singular idea that for me, the only the only thing that's relevant today is the is how we translate culture to one another it's it's how we it's how we not only translate culture but how we present culture to one another you know um and 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 i believe that we live in such a globalized world that we are i would hope that we are beyond just the monolithic displays of culture and you know i really want to create an archive that really pushes that idea forward and i like to believe that my exhibitions have done this you know have have really worked to to create threads between cultures and between these seemingly disparate spaces that we're in because i mean like you know again like shanghai morocco i mean china morocco italy Belgium, America, like these are all places that maybe politically they have some sort of like tethering to one another, but socially, you know, we live in the age of globalization, but we're, but we're so disconnected socially from all of these places. And, um, and for me, like the exhibition, at least in the context of my work should serve as that hub or nexus for, um, for giving people this sort of experience. Thank you. Wow. I mean, you you got again you 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 start off right the mm -hmm. podcast with like answering like four of my questions and then you wrap <laughs> the podcast with answering because there was one that i skipped and i was like nah he got it <laughs> so, <laughs> so so, so thank you that. no no no, you're, no this is great like i said you make my job easier and i think there's a lot to to kind of like break through and i see a lot of sort of um you know it's not, it's not, simpatico is not the word, but I see a lot of similarities in how you're approaching and what you've been, you know, mentioning in, in the through line that you've been discussing in this interview with, you know, what I aspire to do. And it makes me kind of think about what I'm doing in a slightly different way. So, so thank you for that. Thank you for, for sharing so much. <laughs> so I want to hit you with these rabbit fire questions. Please do. Um, you know, I got the trolley one I got to ask you. Hey. I love, I love trolling. So please ask me. Um, all right. So don't overthink these questions. We all do it. Um, Yankees or Mets? Mets. My man. How are you? <laughs> Come Thank on. You. Now. Oh, man. He's got to make sure. He's got to make sure. Yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned like, you know, many places and, you know, the sort of Odysseus Odyssey situation. What's the favorite place you've lived at? Oh, shit. Um, fuck. Favorite place I've lived in. Um, for sheer freedom, this is gonna sound crazy. Shanghai, for sure. But Shanghai is <laughs> different today. 
I would, don't, 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 don't. Anyone listening? Don't go. <laughs> I mean, go, but like, don't go with with what go. I'm about. To say. Don't go with what I'm about to say in mind. When I was there, that shit was like Paris in the 20s, you know. But um, it was just like all the little freedoms we don't have in America. You had, you have there. Just don't say anything about the government. But you know, failed at that too. But uh, you don't want to get I way weighed, you know. <laughs> that's right. But uh, in but like in terms of like, I think in my soul, what was my favorite place to live? Just in terms of like what was needed, what was um what was given to me, what I learned, how it evolved me. Living in Orgozolo, Sardinia. Mm. Um, Orgozolo, Sardinia is a town of four thousand people in the mountains of Sardinia, Italy. Mm. And um and my ex is from there. And you know, I lived there with her and her family, who immediately basically brought me on his family. The whole village embraced me and I got to make, well, not the whole village embraced me, but enough people in the village embraced me. Um, I got to make, I got to make work that at the time I didn't know that um, besides myself, Sebastiana Sata and one or two other also Italian photographers, the only other photographer to make, work in this village was Henry Cartier Brisson. So like for me, I was like, well shit, like, you know, I'm walking the same track as legends in a place that I'm completely just living and chilling. Like I'm 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 drinking spritz every day. I'm 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 chilling, like hard chilling. And I mean also Sardinia is so small, it's so beautiful. I mean, it looks like the goddamn like Garden of Eden or something. I mean it's it's incredible, you know? I'm just a city boy, so I couldn't stay there for long. But again, I would say that was probably my favorite place that I've lived in. And then and then like following that Marrakesh, for sure. Uh so let's see. Um this one's gonna be interesting. Uh and it kind of falls in line with you know, like sort of so what we've been been talking through. I'm ready. What would the you know autobiography title be? Give me the title. It'll be it'll be Joseph Cochran the second. At least he tried. I, I like it. I like it. <laughs> I mean, I, I have something more explicit, but uh, that might have to be off, 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 off. It. <laughs> this is this is the the last run, and it falls into the trolling. Because I told you about, you know, my partner's a New Yorker, and yeah. we go back and forth. I always hear about water and uh, and bagels and all of the nonsense. You know, in those travels, what is the sort of New York staple food that you miss the most? Oh shit! Definitely, definitely a hero. Definitely a hero sandwich. I mean, like, god damn. You know, e- e- even when, even when I found, I, m- I remember, I remember arguing with my ex about like paninis, which are very different in Italy. Very different in Italy paninis. You know, very, very different. I want, I want to make that clear for everyone. But uh, you know, you know, I sit here like, yo, where's your delis at? She's just like, delis. We have a panini shop. And I'm like, a panini shop? The fuck is that? Go, go to get a panini. I'm like, oh, this thin ass. Weird ass bread. Like I want, I want my probably cancerous, fat, filled with food, hero, and I want, and I want globs of fucking garlic mayo on it. I want fries on the side. I need that. I want that. It's in my heart. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that, and definitely, definitely, um, definitely halal food for sure. Which mm. I was happy. That um, you know, I met the Uyghur population in China because you know I don't eat pork and like 
in China, like you're gonna eat a shit ton of pork if you don't if you if you don't if you eat pork. Yeah. And you know, um, it was cool that like I just lived down the block from like a bunch of just like Muslim people who, you know, for very cheap, even by China's even by Chinese standards, I could eat like very clean and very healthy. Yeah. You know, um, it was very good. But yeah, like the hero for sure, man. I mean, um, I'm about to I'm about to get a fucking hero right now, right? I have to go to the gym. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a beginning of the morning kind of guy and just just banging away to what have you. And that at first thing I was like, yo, I need like an egg and cheese. I need something fire on the English See, I was coffee. I was making that in the crib. I was just like in the crib, like just making making scramp, like making them sausage egg and cheeses and all that. So you know, like a lot of my New York staples, I would just make at home. You know, <laughs> so like even like the bagels and stuff, like you know, I, I made my little lox bagel and all that. You know, like I was I was doing my thing, but um, but yeah, like and also one of the things I definitely missed, and this is more so a China specific one, was um, American Chinese food, and this probably <laughs> this probably speaks out this probably speaks out how hood I am. Yeah. I'm um, very early on going going to like restaurants with my homies. And I'm like, yo, like, where, where's the general style chicken? Like, like, where's where's the shrimp fried rice? They're like, what? Like, like, what are you talking about? They're like, oh no, no, you mean the Cantonese food? Like, like we don't right. eat that. Yeah. I'm like, oh shit, you know. That was like, something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, I definitely Chinese takeout. Miss that, you know. Shout shout out to all my Chinese takeouts all over the world. Y'all much appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to end that. Um. Thank you, thank you, man. This is this has been this has been great. This has been um, this has been robust. I mean, I, I appreciate it. And um, <laughs> and, w- and what I want to do is um, in these final moments, um, offer up you know the space for you to um, let the fine folks know where to check you out, check out your work, social media, website, all of that good stuff. The floor right. is yours. My website is uh, josephcochran.net. Uh, the e- probably the easiest way to find me is on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is joey jr or to be specific at two underscore joey jr and um also subscribe to my Substack, joey jr dot substack everything can be found found on links in my on my instagram and um other than that uh shout out uh shout out to my to my family at uncensored new york and shout out to you rob and there you have it folks I want to again thank Joseph Cochran II for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art and culture in and around your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for it. <laughs>